You're listening to Geek Girl Meets. Hey guys, it's Kathy here from Geek Girl Meetup UK and of course you are joining us for the latest episode of Geek Girl Meets where we sit down with an awesome lady in tech to unpick her brain and just essentially find out why they are freaking awesome and also to get some tips along the way. And today I am joined by Ina Yulo, a senior content strategy manager for Bright Talk. Welcome, Ina. Thank you so much, Kathy. Really so, nice to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. Now, the first question I have for you is what is a senior content strategy manager? And also, what is Bright Talk? Sure. So I'll talk with Bright Talk. That might be easier. We're a B2B content marketing platform. I like to say we're like TED Talks for professionals. So we've got 6 million subscribers around the world who come to Bright Talk and watch webinars and videos to educate themselves. And then, so my job title, basically, I run all things content and community for the fintech and financial services community at Bright Talk. I started the fintech community myself because I was a little bored with some of the things I was doing. So I thought, okay, what else is out there that I can play around with? And we've now grown it to be the um, the biggest online fintech community in the world with over 300,000 members globally. So my job entails me seeing what are the up and coming trends in the industry, inviting those speakers who are already talking about it onto Bright Talk to share their insights and make sure that our audience has content that they can use to gain a better, no- better knowledge on these sorts of topics. Awesome. But I'm going to take a wild stab here and say that this was not something that you planned to do when you were a much younger girl. So when you were little, what was it that you actually wanted to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a zookeeper. Awesome. Yep. So in my, it's on video. So there's a recording of this. I was seven years old. It was my kindergarten graduation where each person has to, each person, each little kid has to stand up on stage and say, hi, my name is, and I want to be. And being from the Philippines, a lot of the, the kids their dreams were to be doctors and scientists, which is really cool. And I went up there and said, hi, my name is Ina Yuro. And when I grow up, I want to be a zookeeper. And every parent's head turned to my mom and said, she wants to be a what? <laughs> <laughs> I love that that was so judgmental at the age of seven. But all the kids like found it cool. It was just the parents being like, uh, what? And the kids were like, she's so cool. She wants to be a zookeeper. I was so proud because I used to watch... What is that Jack Hanna? I don't know if you watched Jack Hanna TV show from back in the 90s where he used to go around and visit different zoos and talk to the zookeepers about the animals. So my biggest challenge then was, which animal am I going to take care of? Because there's a lot for me to choose from. Yeah, that's a big thing. There was a, there was a show on in the UK when I was growing up, which I was utterly obsessed with, as was my younger sister. And I can't remember the name of it, but I imagine it had zoo in the, ty- the title. But I remember that the zoo was Painton Zoo, which is based down in Devon. And every every episode, you were just following zookeepers around while they were working with animals, and it was just so awesome. Especially when they got you know like a little baby rhino, yeah, or yeah. like little baby elephant <laughs> arrived, and it was just really really cute. So I I was similarly a little bit animal obsessed. I'm still a bit animal obsessed. Many, Did you have any fun pets when I was growing up? So we had cats preemie. So my parents got kittens before deciding they were going to have babies. So I <laughs> tested it out on the cats. <laughs> like, Let's get some kittens. Yes, yeah, so we had two kittens. They were very, very, very cute and lovely. And I grew up with them. And then we had, you know, hamsters, fish, guinea pigs that we probably should have loved more than we did. It was that typical child thing of going, oh, I really want a guinea pig. Yeah. And then you get it. And then mum's just like, yeah, it's happened. I'm the one that looks after the guinea my pig. My mom, exact same story. She said, my dad would be the one taking us out to the pet shops. And getting whatever animal it was and being like, don't tell mommy. 
And then she goes, I don't know why you say don't tell mommy because mommy ends up taking care of them. Because once, you know, once it once they get sick of them after that good week or two that it's the best fun new thing, then she goes, mommy's the one buying the food. Mommy's the one having to put the newspapers on their little like cage thingies and everything. She, yeah. My mom had, I always remember, I had cockatiels called Simba and Nala. Oh, good and, names. Yeah, I know, right? And they got sick and my mom had to cover the like their cage up with a little blanket and put a light bulb and my grandma came and goes what's that and my mom goes don't touch it that's my ICU for Simba and Nala because she had to keep that light on for them for the whole night oh bless that's really sweet so I we had after we had guinea pigs and, and cats and well we still had one cat we got dogs so I'm Are they were the easier I've never had a cat uh, so, so I don't I don't I loved cats when I was little and I'm not against cats. I still think they're lovely. But the minute we got Nelson, our first dog, I became completely and utterly puppy obsessed. And that has not stopped in the do slightest. Do you know about Borrow My Doggy? Yes, I, I do. remember. And I have a, we have a Borrow My Doggy from across the road named Rafi, who oh. we have on a regular basis because we can't have a dog in our flat. So we borrow Rafi. See, now I, I wonder about that because we can't have a dog either. And I, I would give anything to, you know, be a puppy mummy right now. Like my puppy ovaries are officially in hyperdrive. <laughs> it's ridiculous. We have to live by a park just so I get a dose yes. of canine companionship. Can you just like borrow the dog and then just have it in your flat for the day? And that's okay. Yep. This is great So news. we do this. So we like, we even had, I said I was going to borrow Rafi and then forgot that we had friends coming over for dinner. Well, our our dinner just became an entire like Rafi obsession session because everyone there was like, oh my gosh, the dog's here. And, and Rafi's owner, Lisa, who was amazing, said, are you sure you want him over? Won't he be too much trouble? And he basically heightened our dinner party and everyone loved him. He was just chilling about what we ate and yeah, oh. it's all good. What kind of dog is he? He is a cockapoo. <gasps> oh, okay, we have to stop talking about dogs because I, <laughs> I won't stop now. So you already gave some hints when we were just talking about what you wanted to be when you were little. So you're originally from the Philippines. Yes. So I have to ask, what is the journey that took you from being a seven-year-old girl in st- on stage in the Philippines who wanted to be a zookeeper to now being where you are in London? Yeah, so quite a journey, isn't it? Going from, from that to fintech. Yeah. Um, so I was yeah born and raised in the Philippines, spent most of my life there. I did my bachelor's there, which I did a double degree in. I was focusing on ad and PR, then did a second degree just because I like to study in international business and European studies. Then I did a master in Hispanic studies because my dream in life was to be one day fluent in Spanish. So did all of that. And then at the age of 23, left to do my master's in marketing management in Barcelona, which I will highly recommend to anybody wanting to be a student. It was the best city in the world to be a student. So did that there. And I honestly thought when I was leaving for Barcelona, I still remember the week before I left or the month before I left telling my mom, I'm really scared don't know if I want to do this because I had grown up all in like my entire life in Manila. My friends were the same friends I'd had since I was 10 years old. I couldn't even fathom starting from scratch. I didn't know how I was going to do that. And my mom kept saying, you know what, you know, do the year once you're done. Fine. Cause you know, just come home. So I said, okay, within one month of being in Barcelona, I remember thinking, I don't want to go home this is it. This is so much fun. I didn't realize it was my first time living, you know, away from home. I lived in a four girl flat with some of the girls who have been like my really closest friends since then. So did that one year in Barcelona, graduated, did an internship there first, actually, for a t-shirt printing company where I was their marketing manager. And they basically printed t-shirts for ad agencies in the UK. So because of that, a lot of people I was talking to were from the UK ad industry. 
And you know how their websites are all so fun. Like they just talk about how, what a great culture they have and how amazing it is. So I started thinking, oh, maybe I should get back into to advertising. So went back home after graduation for two months to sort out my life. And then decided that, yep, I want to move back to Europe. So started applying for jobs all over Europe in English-speaking countries just because my Spanish wasn't, I felt at the time, enough for a business level. Mm-hmm. So the London was obviously a big high up on that list. So this is very unlike me because I'm the least spontaneous person ever. I'm just, I'm like major planner girl. I booked a one-way ticket to London with no job and no flat and just showed up literally with a few interviews that I had scheduled because that was the only thing that would make myself feel good about it okay I had a few things here and there and yeah so came here lived in my friend's guest room I was living with four guys in their guest room and had to pretend that I wasn't there because their landlady could not know that there was an extra person in the flat so every week when she would come to visit I had to pack up my stuff hide it my suitcase and pretend I was never there and go to Oxford Circus because to me that was the center of all London yeah and window shop because I had no money and then just sit in a cafe and apply for jobs. And so that was my life. Like literally every night up until 3 a.m. applying to every single job because I slowly realized that I wanted to get into ad, but the ad industry in London did not want me. And a big reason was because I did my master's, did that double degree, because thinking that this is what's going to put me on the top of every recruiter's list. You know, look at all of this, these things that she studied, look at all of these degrees that she now has to her name. And I realized, especially in ad and PR, that didn't really matter as much as, as as internships. So there were people who were coming in fresh from uni, but had done lots of stints in different companies. So they knew them more. And I was being told that with all of that studying I did and all of those degrees, that I did not have enough experience for these entry level roles. I was even applying for unpaid internships and still not getting them. Wow. So that was a big feeling of just rejection. I always say I could make a book from all the rejection letters I got when I was applying for jobs. Yeah. Jeez. So obviously something happened because you do now have a job yep. and you're working <laughs> at Bright Talk. So after taking that huge gamble, which is highly commendable, by the way, because I can't imagine ever just packing up and going to a country and not having a, a plan. I, I'm not the best planner in the world, but I need to have something that I'm working towards and that I know is going to happen. So what happened after, you know, the the, the amount of rejection that yep. kind of came your way what what kind of happened next in terms of jobs for you so my first job actually was bright talk as soon as when I arrived so I was it was one of those jobs I'd applied to like I said one of those blind LinkedIn you know like what do you call them those like easy in apply sort of thing yeah. sorry bright talk you were one of those for me you know just applying <laughs> a bunch of things then got the call and you know had to quickly google oh gosh which one was was bright talk again because you know how it is when you're applying for jobs that like you you do apply to so many different ones and then got on the call, remembered, and I said, oh, yeah, this was a really cool company, actually. And I applied, actually, as an intern and went to the interviews for that internship. Got to that, you know, did all the interviews. I had about four in one day. Went to a pod next door. I still remember eating my lunch there and got a call from the recruiter and said, oh, they really liked you. Do you have other interviews lined up? And I said, I actually have one this afternoon and one tomorrow. These were actually not lies. You know, I know people usually make these things up, which is smart, but I, I actually did have them. And they said, okay, well, if we tell you now that we're going to offer you that internship, will you cancel all your other interviews? And I said, no, because those interviews were for full-time positions. And I said, this one's just an internship. And then they told me, okay, well, what if we turn this into a full-time position, bump up the salary to full-time position, and basically no more internship? Because the, the idea was 
three-month internship. Then after that, you'll move on to a full-time role. Mm-hmm. So they said, would you cancel it then? Because where does Bright Talk stand in in your uh, priority list right now? I said, actually, it's near the top. So yes, I would cancel all those. Went home that evening and they gave me an offer. And I've been at Bright Talk ever since. So when I when I first came in, I was tasked to manage the IT service management community. Went home and had to Wikipedia, what is IT service management? And read the entire Wikipedia page <laughs> to try to figure that out. We've all been there. Yeah. When I first applied for a job in PR, it was tech PR. And I'd done a film and television studies degree and then a marketing master's or attempted master's, which another story. <laughs> and I remember having to kind of go, right, tech. It's quite broad. Yeah. Really broad. How do we narrow this down? I think I literally had to get to a point where I could tell you what iOS and Android were. Really? Yeah, because I didn't know at the time. And it was also still, you know, the iPhone had only been out for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And the same for Android was still relatively new. So so I just had to kind of get to that base level of knowledge as quickly as possible and be like, go in and be like, yes, I understand technology. How do you do it? I, I panicked. I think <laughs> I just asked the most technical people that I knew and then just tried to get it together. But yeah, it's a big panic, but it pays off. Yeah, that's the thing is that I, I, I realized, right, that so I after ITSM, I did business intelligence and big data, and then I did asset management, and then I did where I am now is fintech and financial services. And I realized that even if the topics changed drastically across those, what's it, four or so different communities. So when we say community management at Bright Talk, it's basically you need to know, like I said, what's up and coming within the industry, but also what your audience wants to hear about. Mm-hmm. So you're never, I always say, I will never be a subject matter expert at these particular technologies, but I know it enough that I can have a really intelligent, engaging, high-level conversation with some of the biggest names in the industry, and that I come from it at a, from a position where I can, I can, I believe, ask questions that maybe everybody out there is also wondering, and then I'll take something that they say, I say, okay, wait, let's go back to that point. That's actually not very clear. Can you, you know, justify that? Or can you add on to this? That's an interesting point that I've been hearing about based on my research. Is this something that still needs, I think, you know, people to expound on? Yeah, very cool. So you've kind of done a couple of different things while you've been at Bright Talk. And now, how did you get into the role that you're in now? Like I said, I got really bored. So I was doing <laughs> I was doing BI and big data and asset management. And I organically, because of those two communities, a lot of my research, FinTech was coming up. It was it was getting to be a buzzword, I think, at that point. It wasn't as big as it is now. That was in, gosh, a few years ago now, maybe 2015 or so. And I was telling my manager, I said, you know, this fintech thing is really starting to blow up. Why aren't we doing anything with it? So he said, well, if you see some opportunity there, treat it like a business and pitch it to the senior team. So I had to put together an entire business plan. So see, my marketing master actually was put to good use. Yeah. The SWOT analysis and everything. So I had to do a business plan for the community and show that there was opportunity and that there was a lot of growth. And, you know, I did a SWOT analysis and talked about where the opportunities and, and threats and all of that lay. So I did that and they said, oh, yeah, sure. Why don't, you know, run with it. Let's see how it goes. I did my first ever online events. A lot of what I do also has to do with events. So again, we put together these online summits where we invite people to come and speak, but also I have to attend a lot of physical events because I need to know what the speakers in the industry are talking about and what the audience members actually are, what questions they're asking, what feedback they're giving. So I had to put together my first ever online event two months after I decided to launch this new community on digital banking. And we ended up getting over 2000 people who signed up for it. 
and it's just grown since then. And I, I had to be, I think it's so important to, to know what you don't know, but then to do something about it. So I was very much, I admitted right off the bat, I have, I don't know much about this industry, but I do want to learn. Mm -hmm. So I took out Devi Mohan, who is a big fintech influencer, took her out for lunch and said, can you just tell me everything I need to know? Here's my plans based on the, the research I've done and my, you know, little understanding of the industry. What do you suggest? And she gave me lots of really good insights. And she also actually, after that, introduced me to a few people. And after that, when we were doing more events, those people introduced me to more people and more and more. And now, you know, the network that we were able to have is is really strong and really well connected. And it's our network that I rely on heavily when I don't quite know what to do. And I think, okay, where should we be going with this? Can I test out a few ideas I have with you? Or I want to run this event or this panel. Can you come jump on board? And that's been really, really helpful. Very, very cool. On that note, because you've brought someone in there to help educate you, I want to talk about role models mm-hmm. for a moment. So you've kind of come into this industry and you've you've jumped about while you've been at Bright Tour covering off various different topics that's all, all across the tech scene. But have there been any role models that have kind of stood out to you in your time that you've been a part of it? So again, I think so. Devi would be one just because she, from the very beginning, I was a nobody, right? And she and she was more than happy to sit down with me and, and talk these things through. Now where I'm at, so Louise Bone wants another one mm. who I, I talk to a lot and I have a call with her actually tomorrow morning. So she is the head of open banking at Tech UK and Publicis Sapient. And she is someone that I just love her style when it comes to panel moderation because she's no nonsense, gets to the point and gets the good answers out of people. And at the end of the day, that's what I want to do with my job. And she is able to also just curate and facilitate the conversation in a really engaging way. So I think that I am able to look at these people who, like I said, wear many different hats. Because at the end of the day, I'm, I know Emma Gannon talked about being a, um, a multi-hyphenate. And it was so nice when someone said it because I realized that's been me my whole life. So it was really nice to see people like, like Louise and Devi who wear a lot of hats because they aren't, I guess, satisfied with just being a one-trick pony. And it's nice to see people who are further along in their career compared to me doing it and doing it successfully and enjoying the work that they do. That's cool. So obviously at Geek Girl, we're all about role models. And we want you know to just have a kind of ever-growing list of awesome ladies coming out there and shining light for everyone. Do you think there is anything more that can be done in London or, or just, you know, in general at the moment? I feel it's kind of timely because a couple of weeks ago, obviously it was International Women's Day and it still feels like a bit of an ongoing battle that we have to keep flying the, uh, the boob flag for. You know, what do you think we could do? So I think one thing that came up during the IWD celebrations last week was that people were saying, why can't we do this more often? Why do we have to wait for March 8th to do it? And I think that, to be fair, I think that there's some progress, right? It used to only be a March 8th thing. I think that last week showed it became a an IWD week sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But I think just the, the frequency of, of these sorts of, of events or these sorts of, of movement, just to remind everyone that you don't need IWD to do something fun and to have these sorts of, you know, really good opportunities for people to learn from one another. And it is really, really, really empowering on the role models front. One of the things I am really passionate about is the visibility of different types of role models. I think that's so important because I say growing up, right? So I, for a long time, did not consider myself to be a woman in tech just because I don't have a tech-focused role. Mm-hmm. 
And like I said, for a really long time, I'd see all the women in tech things and I just didn't identify with it. And then when I started looking into it and seeing the sorts of people who were coming up within the women in tech movement, and I thought, oh my gosh, she has a job very similar to, to mine, where it is more in the content side or community building or marketing side, which are all skills and roles that are integral to the tech community mm-hmm. and to any tech company. And it was it was only when I saw them that I realized, oh, they call themselves women in tech. Oh, then I can too. Because that's the interesting thing. And, you know, I, we talked about this earlier, but I grew up in the third world Manila, but my old girls Catholic school required that we, there was a requirement that you had to learn how to code and program before graduating from high school. So I luckily had the opportunity to try that out, but I just didn't like it, I guess, based on my interest, based on my personality. And I just thought, okay, well, that's it then, you know, no career in STEM because I don't like coding. And I realized now that, no, you can have this a career in the in the tech world or even in the fintech world. I had no background in financial services either. And I also just realized, oh, you don't have to be a banker to be in fintech because now, and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I love the fintech industry. I am having so much fun with it. I love that the things that I, every time I have to pay with my contactless card now, I'm looking at, oh, who are they using? You know, <laughs> I like, like a little geek which in that way. Yeah. I'm like, oh, which one is that? And then someone like, whips out let's say a monzo card I'm like oh why did you choose a uh, monzo so what did you look at you know revolut and starling what made you make, make your decision i'm so annoying but <laughs> it's the thing is that i am doing it honestly just for my own research because i'm so interested in the industry and how it works and how it's something that i can actually see on a day-to-day basis that people are using and it a financial service affects everybody mm-hmm. and whether that's financial inclusion in parts of the world where there's so many more people that are unbanked than that have a bank account to people in, you know, cosmopolitan London that are trying to find new ways to to manage their finances. There's some really, really good advice in there. And, you know, I, I completely see where you're coming from when you talk about women in tech and feeling like you can't be a part of that community because the tech, the, the annoying fact about that label is that you do naturally associate it still with someone coding their, their computer or it's something more hardware related, whereas actually in the grand scheme of things, it's women in everything. It's not women in tech, because if we talk at a macro level, what industry isn't currently being underpinned by tech? So it's 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 weird. I feel like it, it is shifting, and we, we do see this at Geek Girl. Like we, I was going to ask that. How, is, is, is it a... Is it a trend that comes up or a question that people have during the meetups too? I think it's it's a bit of a weird one. So the way that Geek Girl's always been positioned, we've always been women in tech, but we've done events that specifically kind of tackle UX design or it could be a very much more developer focused or it could be startup focused. And then over the years, it kind of broadened out and and how it now works is it's, it's usually our events are themed on a particular part of technology. So we might do something on ad tech, for instance, or fintech, but you know, narrow it down a little bit further. And then the whole point there is that we then have three, usually three, just awesome women that are just working in that industry talking about something. So it's women who are incredible and who are role models talking about the stuff that they are experts on rather than falling into that trap of being, woe is me, I have a vagina. <laughs> um, like... It's it's not about that. It's the the women in tech events that we do. It's all about promoting really really clever women to fill that role model gap. 
But it's still, there is, I think, a little bit of confusion around the language associated just with tech. And then that makes you put yourself into a bracket. So for instance, I count myself as a woman in tech, but I'm also a woman in PR, a female business leader, and just, you know, well, a woman. And (laughs) amongst other titles. And it's, it's, it's weird, dependent on the opportunity before you, I get really annoyed of actually also having the woman label associated with what I'm doing as well. Because it's sometimes you're just like, why do we have to point out my gender? We didn't point out the other person's yes. gender. I think it's interesting because I, so I had a chat with someone about this recently that labels are as inclusive as they can be exclusive, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I said the, the inclusive part and the, the yay labels bit is that then you kind of feel like you, you're supported by a, by a group of people and it's easier to find these people because then if you say, let's, I don't know, let's say Twitter, you say, let's say women in fintech, easy. You find exactly who are these women who identify themselves as being women in fintech and then you kind of have your go-to people and you know who are part of this group. But exclusive also in the sense that, like I said, women in tech, we tend to question, for like I said, with me, for so long I questioned myself, do, do I belong here because what is tech? Does, does it does it count for this and that? It's almost like when you, when you sign up for something and they have a drop-down menu and you're always like, oh, which one is me? Like for you, for example, if you did industry, would you do PR? Would you do tech, media? Yeah, see, for me, I'm the anti-PR PR. Yeah, so you never, you never, you never <laughs> so, indicate PR for yeah, your drop-down so I, I, do, I do communications and part of that is PR, but I, I hate the image that becomes yes, associated exactly. with the PR industry. So for me, I, I I kind of see it as I'm the anti-PR PR that does PR. Yeah. But no. actually I do communications because that's much cooler than PR. <laughs> it's all very complicated. If you could go back to when you were starting university, maybe, what's one piece of advice that you'd give to your younger self now? I would say to do more internships or what we call in Manila OJT, so on-the-job training. Nice. Is that, I know, like, all about the acronyms. <laughs> but I, I would do that because I think, again, I don't know if this is Asian schooling. You know, like, okay, there's a thing. When I say it's an, it's an Asian thing, you always, it's only when I went abroad that I realized things that I thought were, oh, this is an Asian thing, that everyone around me is like, oh, no, we, we do that too. So then, you know, I'm like, oh, so we're not that special then. But so, I, again, I don't know if this is an Asian schooling thing, but we were... I think growing up, I don't know if it's changed now as well. I mean, my sister's in uni now. I don't know if it's, it's, it's changed really, but we weren't really encouraged to do internships or OJTs mm-hmm. because it was more like, like summer actually was used sometimes to take advanced classes in this and that. Because all, again, it was all about the education. It was about, can you get ahead for the next semester? Can you, can you one up that person in your class for this and that? So I remember I had to take an accounting class during the, my, my summer break. It met, I think, only once or twice a week, which was really good, but still. So how, how would I have been able to do an internship or something if it was being taken up by an actual class required for me to graduate? And I now realize, like I said, is that when I, when I got to London especially, my lack of job experience or work experience in any, in any shape or form, be that an internship or you know just a, a summer job, it worked against me. And now that I'm actually hiring myself for the team, I'm, I'm in a role where I'm, I'm hiring in, I tend to actually, I look at their degree, honestly, really quickly. But my main thing that I'm looking for is what are the projects that they did within those degrees? If they're, if they're fresh grads, what are the projects they did where I can see that the skills that, they, that were required for, to complete that project are the same skills I need for the role I'm now hiring into? And, I, and it's interesting because... Now is my my time that I see that. That's when I think, 
oh, if only I did that too, yeah, might have been a more attractive candidate. <laughs> I think it's difficult because even in the UK, when we would have been at university at roughly the same time, yeah. right? And for me, not going to university was never an option. It was, you are going to university, you're not doing a gap year, you're going straight in, you're going to get a great education, and then you're going to go and work. And there was a massive emphasis on the education part. And I did work because I, I don't know, I think just naturally I wanted to. So I had a Saturday job when I was 14. I worked in a shoe shop and I did you know, restaurant and service work, which I think is a very valuable thing to have, that skill of working with a customer. But then at university, I think because so many people now do go to the university in the UK, having a degree is no longer competitive, mm -hmm. dependent on the degree, obviously, and what industry. But but having gone to university, you're losing a competitive edge that maybe 30, 40 years ago was a thing. Yeah, very so, true. So I, similarly, for hiring for my company, new, most of the people that I've hired, it's not because of what they've studied. And it's not because they went to university. I've been looking for... I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I ran this society, I worked here, I got work experience here, I did an internship here, I did a year abroad here. Because I think it, having that additional, first of all, like more cultured awareness, being out in society, actually working with people, and actually being more open to criticism, because you've worked before and you have to learn. And, and you failed really... more maybe as well. Exactly. It's a much more compelling thing now. So, yeah, really so, true. so I, I agree. I think more internships, just more work. Yep. And it can be, I think also one thing that the youth of today have going for them is that the freelancing, remote work, you know, future of work sort of thing, it's really big now. So you have that opportunity because I said with, with me back then, I, say, I guess the same for you, an internship meant you had to show up there, at, for, clock in from this, from this time to this time. There wasn't a lot of stuff that you could do without actually going to that place and being physically there mm -hmm. but the fact that we can do this now you could you could very much i think have an internship on the side even if you're still studying if that's going to be your focus that's a, so much more doable now i think yeah i definitely think you can do both so if you could give another woman or another person another piece of advice something that you've learned in the career that you've had so not the if you were younger what would you say to yourself what what advice would that be that you could you would give someone now that you've been doing what you've been doing and in London? I think it would be honestly to just throw yourself out there. I know that sounds super cliche. And if anyone told me that, it'd be like, yeah, you read that from some self-help book, didn't you? But it's one of those things that I realized that sometimes a lot of the the things I've done recently, I've thrown myself out there and the risk of failing is not so scary when you don't necessarily tell everybody first that you attempted it, if that makes sense. So as an example, the fintech community, when I said I wanted to start it, I went to one trusted source and said I should do this. And then he said, okay, pitch it to these two senior execs. And then I pitch it to them. If they had said no, nobody else would have to know that I tried and failed. And just that knowledge made it a lot easier for me. Because at the end of the day, what did I have to lose really? It wasn't like I had built it already and then they said, no, close shop that's it. It was still, I was propositioning, saying, maybe we can do something with this. And similarly, so last year, my role, I started moderating panels for my job, by the way, because sometimes I couldn't find moderators. They were the hardest ones to book in. So I just said, you know what, I'll just step in and realize I really liked it. And then only late last year did I start thinking, you know, now that I'm doing all of these panel moderations, I'm hearing all of these 
really amazing speakers share their insights, I started thinking, what if I actually have insights I want to share too? I wonder if anyone will listen. So what I started doing was I just started booking myself into webinars on Bright Talk and doing my own thing, putting together a deck and saying, I'm going to talk about this. And the first one I ever did actually was called The Professional Art of Winging It, where I talked about my journey and how I came and just like kind of wung it, whatever the past tense of winging it is. And I got such good feedback. And I was so shocked by the feedback. I couldn't believe that people actually liked what I had to say or found and that I was getting feedback that was similar to the, what my speakers were getting. So I just started honestly going and being like, okay, what are the events I can speak at? Just started applying for them, answering the forums, like, just like how I reached up to you and saying, here's what I want to talk about. And was honestly just surprised. I, mean, I would get some people saying, sorry, you didn't make the cut. That's fine. And again, getting those rejections were not so bad because I did get some acceptances here and there. Mm -hmm. But just like with getting a job, when I got my job at Bright Talk, I probably applied to what, over 50 companies, I'd like to think. But, you know, they say it's always just, if I didn't apply to those 50, I might not have gotten that one. Yeah. And that's how I feel about these opportunities too. For anything you want to get into, try it out. And again, nobody is going to know if it didn't work out. And if it didn't, okay, next one. It wasn't a right fit. Cool. Next one. That's what I realized now. And that's what I've been doing with my with my job now. I just keep testing stuff out. And same thing with my with my events, right? There's some topics that I want to test out. I put a panel together, see what happens. And sometimes it doesn't work out. No one actually turns up. No one watches it. The topic wasn't as trendy or buzzy as I thought it would be. And I realized, though, that those insights that this topic is not good are actually just as valuable as finding out if a topic is. Because then when clients come to me and they say, I want to talk about X, it's going to be the next big thing. I can come and say, oh, sorry, tried that out. Actually, it's not. And the clients actually find that more valuable that I save them time and money that they were going to put so much money towards this whole strategy around this piece of content. And I was able to say, don't do it. I tried it. These are the results. And now we were able to segue, go somewhere else and make them more money with a more popular topic. It's just playing yields. Yes, exactly. It is. It is. We, we will have to do it. And you know what? I'm very, very happy that you reached out to do this podcast with me. Of course. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's well, been so much fun. No, it's been really, really delightful talking to you. Before we finish, last question is anyone that's listening, how can they get in touch with you? So I am on Twitter. So at Ina Yulo, that's I-N-A-Y-U-L-O. Also happy for you to reach out to me via LinkedIn or email is ina at brighttalk.com. And again, that's for anyone who might want to share their insights as a speaker on Bright Talk. Happy to have you and chat through that. If you have an event coming up that you think this sort of talk or some of the insights I have to share would be interesting for, go ahead and send me a, a message about that. Or just anyone, I've had some people also ask me about, you know, they are either going through a career pivot or wanting to break into a certain industry or just have any, you know, questions, I'm always open and I really do love it when people reach out and I'm happy to talk about, you know, anything really with you, meet up with her coffee, anything like that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming along and joining the Geek Girl Meets podcast. Guys, as you probably know, I am sat here in the very, very lovely podcast studio of Runway East Featherstone Street, which is only 50 meters away from Silicon Roundabout. So it's very, very easy to find. It is one of the London's leading co-working spaces, and they are a fantastic team who let me come in here and do the Geek Girl podcast quite regularly. So they've got three sites across Shoreditch and Moorgate. So if you are London-based or you're not, and you're just looking for a desk that you can pop in and use occasionally, do go and have a look on the website, runwayea.st. They have got space for staff 
startups from one to 100 people. So if you think you're one of those scaling companies that's going to boom, then definitely check out the Runway East crew. You can head over to the website and you can get a 20% off of any hot desk or a dedicated desk membership by using the code geekgirlmeets when making an inquiry. Until next week, bye. You can follow Geek Girl on Twitter at GGMUK, sign up to our newsletter on the website at geekgirlmeetup.co.uk and you can like our Facebook page, Geek Girl Meetup UK.